You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. On Tuesday in Moreno Valley, we had a meeting, and then uh, Thursday we had one uh, up here down in North Highlands, just uh, outside of Sacramento there, Brother Rogers Church, just trying to build the effort uh, here in the state, and we divided the state into three sections, and we've got three, uh, three great pastors helping us with that uh, as well, and, uh, and then... Uh, and so, so pray for us as we continue to develop the effort here. Pray for your legislators. Pray God would raise up uh, candidates with a biblical worldview. And I know the cake's pretty well baked for this next election. And, uh, but, uh, but let's be praying that uh, some of these folks that are running are, uh, are believers and at least have a biblical worldview. And then hopefully our believers on top of that. Pray for your legislators that are down there. Uh, at the Capitol, that they would stand uh, strong. We're having a little bit of a, we're seeing this year a tendency for the uh, Republicans, and I might have said this on Wednesday night or, or the other night when I it was, what night was I here? Where am I? Right <laughs> I was here Wednesday night, just said a few words. But uh, we, are, we are seeing that they're not speaking up. You've got 19 uh, Republicans on the House side out of 80 total. You've got on the Assembly side. You've got uh, nine out of 40. Uh, by the way, those are not like really good numbers. Um, uh, but uh, we do need those there to stand up and speak out. And we're seeing really since uh, I think it's somewhat contributed to the absence of Senator Mike Morrell, who got termed out. Uh, and he spoke for us this week on Tuesday down in Southern California, which is where he lives. And he was really a warrior at the Capitol and uh, would speak out on the floor of the Senate and the Assembly when he was there, but, um, but he got termed out, and so we're seeing that the Republicans are not having the courage uh, that they need to be having to speak out. And so they're, they're not voting for the, uh, well, they're not voting for most of the bad legislation. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so pray for your legislators. It's a very, very challenging environment that they are, uh, are in, in politics today, and uh, we just need to be in prayer. God's on the throne. I'm going to share that with you tonight. But again, to reiterate, I appreciate this church. I appreciate your pastor and his burden for the Lord's work, his enthusiasm. This church has, well, you need to thank the Lord for your church. I'm in a lot of churches, folks, and I'm telling you, not every church is, uh, has enthusiasm, has, a, has, a, has life, has a spirit of uh, really wanting to reach folks and, and to do the Lord's work. And so uh, thank God for your pastor. Thank God for this church. I thank God for you people. And don't, don't take it for granted. I really appreciated uh, Brother Frank's message on Wednesday night. If you were not here, I would hope that, I don't know how, how that's, if it's recorded, you can watch it online, whatever. But I, I would really encourage you to listen uh, to that message and to be one of those who come alongside your pastor and, and lift up his mm -hmm. arms and encourage him and support him in the ministry. It is very difficult. We spent, uh, you know, I found a pastor to replace uh, myself, and, uh, and I'll tell you this, it's a difficult thing uh, to, find, to find folks, uh, to find pastors and those who have a, uh, have a real desire to do the Lord's work. We're thankful for the fellow uh, that uh, we have there in Burlington, doing a great job, and when we're home, we're in church there. And, uh, but but uh, don't take your pastor for granted. Uh, I'll just tell you that. So uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 tonight and verse number 16. This church is familiar with our effort. You're familiar with with what we're trying to do, uh, I've preached here a number of times, uh, really focused on that topic. And tonight, uh, I just want to be a help and a blessing to a truth that is, has been a help uh, to me, and, uh, and I think it'll be a help to you and a help to the church here, just to encourage us uh, in, uh, in our efforts uh, to live for the Lord. Folks, listen, it takes effort to live for the Lord. 
say, boy, I don't know about this thing with living the Christian life. For me, it seems, you know, for me, it seems like a battle, you might be thinking, you know, from time, from time to time. If you're not thinking that, you may not be living the Christian life, all right? And, uh, but you say, boy, I don't know. It's, you know, the pastor, he seems to have it figured out. And others, the staff, they all seem to always have a smile on their face and be going, you know, not have an issue. But boy, for me, living the Christian life is a, is a real challenge. No, for anyone who is trying to live the Christian life, it's a real challenge. Because we're in a sin-cursed world, we are living in bodies that have the uh, curse of sin, our sin nature, that we're all fighting against. And so it is a constant battle until the day that we see the Lord. But I hope that I can be an encouragement to you in, uh, in that. I'm going to give, you a, give, give us a very familiar passage here in getting started. And don't, don't write me off just because it's a familiar passage. We're going to come back to it. You know, it's easy. All I've heard these message, especially once you get to Ephesians 6 and you start talking about the armor and that, you know, that's like a, a, uh, a preacher boy's first message, <laughs> you know, he's like, okay, I got to have a message, I got my first message, and you look at that and you say, hey, there it all is, and so, uh, and uh, there's a lot of truth here, but I'm going to focus on one thing, we're going to come back to verse number 16 here in a little bit, but look at what he says here, above all, taking the shield of faith, and that's going to be my focus tonight. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the testimony it has in this community. I thank you for the light that it is in this dark world and the light of the gospel that they share with this community. And Lord, and in so many other ways through their missions program and, and all the other ministries that are involved here, Lord, I thank you for that. I pray that you would be with Brother Brown, that you would touch him, that you would heal him and Mrs. Brown, strengthen them, that they can get uh, back to full health and bless them. And then, Lord, I pray for us tonight. I pray that you would meet with us. And Lord, that you would encourage us that your word would speak to our hearts, that your spirit would speak to our hearts. I don't know the needs that are here tonight, but Lord, you do. And I pray that we would leave this place challenged and encouraged in your word, and we'll thank you for it, for we ask in your name, amen. You can keep your place there, turn over to Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 4. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number four, Revelation 21, four, it says in God, give you a minute to get there, Revelation 21, verse number four says, in God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Notice this now, there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Boy, it's going to be a great day when those things are gone. Amen. I, a few weeks ago, uh, had the unfortunate experience of uh, being with my younger brother, two years younger than me, and watching him die of cancer in a matter of three weeks, and preaching his funeral. I said to my wife, I think I cried more in those three weeks than I've cried in a long time. He lived in Atlanta and just was uh, diagnosed with severe cancer all of a sudden, and uh, he's a believer, and uh, he's with the Lord. Well, boy, you know, you read this and you think, boy, thank God. And, and here, there's, a, there's folks here that you have loved ones that are with the Lord. And that's going to be a great day when that sorrow and pain is gone. For the former things are passed away. Now, we're talking here about heaven. And we sing the song, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Amen. But folks, we're not there yet. We are not there yet. Not only is this life not heaven, keep this in mind, it's never going to be heaven. You know, I think sometimes, maybe particularly when you're younger, uh, you think, you know what, if I just work at this thing of, doing the right thing and working hard and, and, uh, and especially if you're trying to live for the Lord and do right, that if I just 
uh, do, do all the right things, which I ought to be doing and strive for those things, that I will get to the place when I have no more problems in this life. Anybody else, when you were young, you used to have that thought? <laughs> the man, someday, I'm going to wake up and just not going to, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get there. We're going to be there in this life. You know, a number of years ago, I uh, called my father and my parents live in Pittsburgh and they're strong believers and they're still in good health now, going into their later 80s and uh, still in very good health. But, uh, but I called my father, he was probably in his 70s at the time, and I said to him, I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm fixing the toilet. I said, you know, Dad, I thought by the time you get to your 70s that the toilet would be fixed. Amen? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that that would be done, right? <laughs> and, uh, but no, you know what? If you live long enough, guess what's going to need fixed again? The toilet. <laughs> you know? That's the way this world is. You know, when I was younger, I used to think, you know, uh, what I'll do is I'm going to buy good tools, and then I won't have to replace them through life. So I'll go out, we'll buy the good ones, won't buy the cheap ones, you know, we'll buy good tools, and then we'll replace them. Of course, I didn't take into account that I would be pastoring, that I would be helping folks remodel the church, you know, multiple times over the years, and then that I would have kids, and that I would have sons, and that I would, and here's what I found out about tools. Now, I'm, I, I still, I'm not against buying the good ones, but let me tell you this, you're going to buy the good ones several times over. Amen? How many here, uh, you do a little work around the house, and you have bought more than one tape measure? Amen? Somewhere, somewhere, there is a stack of tape measures that I have bought that's got to be at least three feet tall and about three or four feet across. Amen? But I'll tell you this, when I need a tape measure... I'm not going to be able to find any one of those tape measures. Amen. So you, you go out and you buy another one. Now, folks, that's, here's the point. That is the way of this world. You get something fixed, say, boy, I finally got this problem fixed in my life. I got this worked out. Well, and then you go a little ways and you find out, oh, no, I've got another problem that I've got to work on. I say to folks, look, if you want to, if you get yourself a calendar and you uh, get yourself one of those little pencils like they do at the miniature golf pencils, you know, little short pencils, and you get that thing nice and sharp and you have a calendar and every day in your life that you have a day where you have no, have no problems, like everything is great, you put a star on that day on the calendar. You will never need to get another pencil and you probably will never need to sharpen the one that you have again. <laughs> Folks, listen, it's the way it is in this world. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. Listen to Job. Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Job 14.1, more encouragement here. Man that is born of woman. And by the way, that is, that is how man is born. All right? Just, who would have ever thought that that would, that, that would be up for debate? Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And by the way, that's true not just for the ungodly. And by the way, they will end up with a lot more trouble. But it's not just true for them. It's true for those who, sincerely, who are sincerely seeking after the Lord. In fact, the Bible says, and again, uh, I know this first part of this message, that we're going to get to the encouragement. It's coming, amen? But uh, in, the, in the Bible says in 1, 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, well, that's what we ought to strive for, right? shall suffer persecution. <laughs> Amen. Turn over to Matthew, or Mark, I'm sorry. Turn to Mark. Look back to Mark. We'll come back to Ephesians here in a little bit, but look back at Mark chapter 10. I'll tell you where to go in Mark. Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, verse 28. 
It says, Then Peter began to say unto him, to Jesus, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. So Peter here is kind of having maybe, you know, he's looking around. At, they left there. And, they, and by the way, they did leave all. They left, they left everything behind. They left their business, their boats, and their, their, uh, their career. And, and so in a sense, they had left everything behind, although none of us have really left everything behind. Uh, but they had, they had done this. But he's kind of patting himself on the back a little bit here or maybe looking for some sympathy. I don't know. But uh, he says, we've left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold. Lord says, look, you're right. He didn't, he didn't argue. He said, look, you are going to be blessed for that. In fact, you are going to receive a hundredfold now. Then I like this part. Now in this time. Thank God for heaven. But he says, Jesus said, now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children. I think he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And lands. He's talking about physical blessings in this world. Man, that's all great. That's all wonderful. And then notice what he puts in there. With persecutions boy you know those two don't doesn't seem like that ought to all be in the same verse does it but the lord put it in there you know what i think he's reminding them look you are going to be blessed listen serving the lord young people putting the lord first in your life you will be blessed with for doing that you will never regret putting the lord first in your life i was saved as a young child uh, grew up in a Christian home. My father saved in the late 60s. When I was just a young child, I accepted Christ shortly thereafter, uh, right before I turned seven years old. And by God's grace, my parents helped to start a Christian school. I grew up in a Christian school. I went to Christian college. Uh, I worked for my church as a teenager. And, uh, and God, in his mercy and grace, has allowed me uh, to make the right decisions the majority of the time in life. And here's my point. I have no regrets. I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful that I have tried, not perfectly, but tried to seek the Lord. And I'm telling you this, God has not let me down. God has not let me down. But the point is, we're still going to have trouble and trials in this life. Now, on top of all the problems caused by the curse of sin on this world, we as believers have an enemy who is trying to destroy us. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's a lovely thought. <laughs> Just looking for the Christian who he can wreck their life, wreck their testimony. Now again, why do I remind us of this? Because I want us to understand First of all tonight, that when it comes to this thing of trials, troubles, and temptations, you are not alone. You're not alone. When I was in Bible college, Dr. Hiles, pastor of the large church there in, in Indiana, had a 15 or 20 minute daily radio broadcast every day of the week. And during the broadcast, we would pause the class we were in, whatever class we were in that semester, and we would take those 15 or 20 minutes to listen to the broadcast. Now, I don't remember the content of the broadcast except for one thing. I remember the statement that he would end every broadcast with. And it was this statement. He would say this. He would say, be good to everybody because everybody is having a tough time. And folks, the truth of the matter is, we're to go around tonight. There's a burden. Every person here, right, with, with, with maybe an exception or two. And if you're that exception, get that pencil out and use it while you can, amen, and, and put that star on the calendar. And there are a few of those days. Thank God for them. But, folks, everybody's having a tough... You know, we need to be, sometimes we need to be a little more gracious and merciful towards each other. You know, boy, we're easy to get upset with folks. I can't believe they said that to me. I can't, why did they act like that? You know, we don't, we don't know most of what's going on in each other's lives. And we don't know the burdens. And we don't know the temptations, and we don't know the hurt, 
that people are experiencing. And sometimes when somebody responds in a way that doesn't, and I don't understand why they're like that, well, we may not know what they're going through that at that moment in time really has them under a lot of stress. Has anybody noticed when you're under a lot of stress, you don't always react correctly? <laughs> Be good to everybody because everybody is having a tough time. Now follow me tonight. The scripture teaches us that all of our problems are caused by a combination of a sin-cursed world, sin-cursed flesh, and the devil who's at the root of all the trouble. That's the, the bad news. The good news is that we do not have to be defeated. We can have victory over, victory over the troubles of this world. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. Go back to our text here, and we're going to read the familiar part of the passage here to get back to verse number 16. We're going to get there quickly, but for Ephesians 6, verse number 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And folks, that's where our strength lies, in the Lord and in His might, not the power of our flesh. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the deceitfulness. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is spiritual warfare. It's a real thing. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. So to help us understand how we're to deal with the troubles we will face in this world, that all of us will face, the scripture here uses the analogy of a soldier. And the passage continues on to tell us about the different parts of the armor. And the reason he uses, you know, the Bible uses analogies to help us grasp spiritual truth. So here we have this analogy of a soldier. He's got all his armor. And so that's the, the analogy that is being used here, the illustration. And he now then goes through the different parts of the, uh, of the armor. The loins gird about with truth. Whole messages could be preached on any one of these. The breastplate of righteousness. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The helmet of salvation. The sword of the spirit. Which is, by the way, the offensive part of the armor that we need to have. The sword, which is the word of God. But now I want us to notice tonight, verse 16 in particular... Because there's a certain part about verse 16, it begins with this, going back and looking at it, says, above all. Now, when the Lord says above all, to me, he's saying, look, if you don't do anything else, and there's a lot else we should be doing, but he says, or maybe you could say the most important thing, or the thing that you must do, if you do everything else and don't do this, you're going to have trouble. Above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now think with me, every other piece of defensive armor, now you have the sword, that's offensive, but every other piece of defensive armor that is listed other than the shield of faith is something that is worn. Loincloth, breastplate, shoes, helmet, those are things you are putting on the body. In literal warfare, each one of those will protect you if you are hit. Now follow me because here's my point. If you are hit, but they do not prevent you from being hit. They are like the last, you know, and the, the, the uh, policemen today wearing their bulletproof vests. That's the, that's the last measure of defense. That's the last point of defense. Something gets past that, you're in big trouble. They protect you if you are hit, but don't prevent you from being hit. Furthermore, even when the armor is worn properly, there are still areas of the body that are left unprotected. The legs, the arms, the hand, the neck, the face. Goliath learned this lesson the hard way, the very hard way. And by the way, it's an interesting thing about Goliath that ties in with the point tonight. Look back. I want you to see this. This may be one of those things where you've read it and maybe you've never noticed it. Maybe you have. But look back at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Keep your place here. We're going to come right back. But I want you to see this verse. Because sometimes these stories become so familiar that we don't always 
think them through in our minds. Look what it says here in 1 Samuel 17, verse 7. 1 Samuel 17, verse 7, speaking of Goliath, says, And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. Now notice this, the last part of the verse. And one bearing a shield went before him. Now, do you see anything wrong with that equation? One bearing a shield went before him. He wasn't carrying his own shield. Folks, if somebody else is carrying your shield and they come under attack, guess how they're going to use your shield? <laughs> it's not to protect you. It's to protect them. Saul, I don't know what it was with, with, uh, with Goliath. I don't know if he was uh, lazy or, or what. But listen, he handed off the carrying of his shield to somebody else. Big mistake. Big mistake. What good does your shield do if somebody else is carrying it? Above all, taking the shield of faith. And by the way, folks, that, that make, you could make the point that when it comes to our personal faith, somebody else can't carry it for you. Your pastor, he'll pray for you, he'll do everything he can, but he cannot, he cannot be the one himself. He, you, you will have to take personal responsibility and develop your own spiritual walk and your own uh, desire to serve the Lord and seek after the Lord, your own walk with God, and put on your own armor every day if you're going to be protected from the wiles of the devil. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Now here's the point. The shield of faith, you can go back to Ephesians, the shield of faith is intended to be the first line of defense. It is only the shield of faith that's listed that can stop the fiery darts of the devil, listen now, before they get to us. Now, the other armor can protect us once they hit us. But if you want to stop them before they get to you, and folks, I'll just say this, it's pretty obvious stopping it before it gets to you is better than having it hit you. I'm talking about the dart of trouble, the dart of discouragement, the dart of temptation, the dart of lust, the dart of pride, the dart of apathy, the dart of hopelessness, the dart of anger, the dart of unforgiveness, the dart of envy, the dart of illness. By the way, isn't it, I haven't studied it out further, but you think about it, these are fiery darts. You know, you get hit with a fiery dart, something that's burning, and you know what? You got more, more than a problem of just where it hit. In Israel, they have a defense system that you've probably heard of called the Iron Dome. It acts like a shield. It's not a literal dome, obviously, but it acts like a shield in the sense that it stops missiles where? Before they hit their target. Now, the, uh, the sirens go off and... In Israel and countries like that, we know nothing of this, where uh, you're running for a bomb shelter, that, but it's a way of life in much of Israel and some of these other places in the world. They run to the bomb shelter. The, the shelter, presumably, these concrete bunkers, will protect them if the missile even hits the ground above the bunker. But folks, far better to stop the missile in the air before it ever gets to its target. And that's what the shield of faith does for the believer. It stops the devil's darts before they can do any damage. Think about this. Advantages of using a shield. Not only can you stop the fiery darts of the devil before they get to you, you can stop multiple attacks. With a shield, you can stop multiple attacks at one time. Thirdly, you can easily and quickly reposition the shield to stop attacks coming from different directions. So boy, if you're in a situation where you got somebody shooting fiery darts at you or multiple fiery darts coming in, you are far better off, it's far better than just using your bare hands, amen, to have that shield. It 
definitely increases your chance of survival. So we see this shield of faith. It's very important. Now, here's my last question I want to answer tonight. What exactly is the shield of faith? So let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, which teaches us about faith. Hebrews chapter 11, in addition to other places in the scripture, but does a very concise job of defining faith for us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. What is the shield? We can see the value of the shield of faith. We can see why it's so important to have the shield of faith. What is the shield of faith? Hebrews 11, verse number 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now again, we could preach an entire message, and they have been preached, and most preachers have preached them on, on this one verse. But let's just summarize this verse to say this. Faith is believing everything that the Bible teaches us about God and the spiritual realm that cannot be seen with the physical eye. And boy, we like to see things before we believe in them. That's our nature. But faith is believing everything the Bible says about God and the spiritual realm that cannot be seen with the physical eye. So that's what it's a definition of faith. Now, if we skip down to verse number 6, verse 6, I believe, tells us where faith begins and ends. Look at it. Verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Him is God. Folks, listen. We like to see things. We like to act by sight, not by faith. But it isn't interesting. We cannot please God if we're not living by faith. If everything you're doing for God, you can see it through and you can understand how you can do it and it all makes sense, then you're really, you might be doing the right thing, but you're not living by faith. And there's going to come times, listen, I believe this, in the life of every Christian, there are going to be times in life when you are going to absolutely have to step out on the water. And I'm not going to do it to illustrate, all right? But you're going to have to step out on the water if you're going to really grow in your faith. You know, there's a lot of Christians who've never started tithing. I mean, genuinely tithing. I mean, ten, you know, tithing is really not a hard, hard thing to understand. It's 10% of the gross before taxes. I think God as a child, when I got saved, we had a pastor who taught us tithing. I started giving, and by the way, I started giving to Faith Promise Missions. That's another step of faith. It's called Faith Promise Missions because it is a step of faith to give over and above the tithe to missions but let's just talk about tithing taking that step of tithing well you know i just i just don't understand we're having trouble making it now and uh and i don't understand how we could possibly make it if we're giving 10 percent to the lord listen i can't figure it out on paper but i'm glad i learned it as a child and i'm glad that my wife was taught it too got saved a young age and we tied as children and as teenagers on whatever income we had and then we got married we continued to tithe, and we tithed through Bible college, and we tithed uh, as an assistant pastor, and we tithed all these years as a pastor. A number of years ago, uh, we came to the place where the Lord laid on our hearts to go full-time with this ministry, and we came to that spot, and I said to my wife, I said, well, we are now going to find out, because <laughs> we were saying goodbye to the salary, and I said, we're going to find out this thing about tithing. And you know what, folks? God has taken care of every need that we have. Miraculously provided. Uh, over and in fact, we've, we've done it. We stepped aside, and then seven months later, we took the church back. Don't have time to go on that story. So we did it once, and then a year and a half ago, we came to that spot again. I said, here we go again. <laughs> You know, it was so much fun the first time. But folks, really, when you look back on it, it is fun because you see what God has does that, that just is impossible. God's faithful. He'll come through, but you got to step out by faith. And folks, listen, whether it's tithing, whether, and by the way, we've continued, we, we came, that, uh, came around and we give. As a pastor, I, I tithed as well, and I believe... Uh, I believe in that, and, I, and we gave the Faith Promise missions uh, all those years. But we came down, and we, you know, we said, boy, we got this Faith Promise 
missions, and I went to my pastor, and I said to him, you know, because my faith's not quite as strong as it ought to be. I said, now look, uh, you know, my new pastor, you know, we're going to keep tithing, and, uh, and we're going to, as long, I, I cannot give what I do not have, but as long as I have it, we're going to keep giving to Faith Promise Missions at the same rate that we were giving when I had a salary. And I said, oh, Lord, should I have said that? <laughs> you know what, folks? We've never, we've never had to cut back in 18 months. In fact, we're able to increase it. Now, folks, you say, well, that's you. No, I'm just saying, you step, I'm just trying to give you the only illustrations I can, personal illustrations I can give are personal illustrations. I'm not patting myself on the back because I will tell you my faith is, is not what it ought to be. But I'm just telling you this. There are times in your life when you are going to have to step out by faith, when you're going to have to say, hey, sometimes the Lord lays on somebody's heart, you've got to make this job change so you can keep the Lord first in your life. You know, it's easy for you to encourage somebody else to make a job change, isn't it? <laughs> you're going to have to, young people, you're going to have to say, well, I don't know, how, how will I go to, if I, if I go to Bible college, how will I pay for it? We had my son and daughter started Bible college a year ago. Of course, now we've gone full time. I'm thinking like, Lord, how am I going to put these two kids through college? And my son got set up, as we said, set him up over the years. He started mowing, had his mowing business. And he got, the Lord blessed that last summer. And he had his complete year of college paid for before he ever went to college last summer. And, he's, and so we're very thankful about that. But I still got a daughter, amen? She's got to pay her bill. And she went to college and she looked for a job, couldn't find one, couldn't find one. And, and, uh, and but after about a, month, the Lord opened the door, and she ended up, folks, she ended up, she, she's doing, she's nannying, about, it's about 20, 30 minutes from the college, nannying for a, a uh, doctor's and his wife, they have two kids, they were four and six years old, Indian doctor, they're in Chicago area, and uh, two kids, four and six years old, and my daughter, her job is she drives to their house, which again is 20, 30 minutes from the college. She drives there, gets there at 3 or 4 in the afternoon. And then the mother is there. The mother, the, the, mother, the wife does not work. She's there. They got the 4-year-old and 6-year-old come home from school, whatever. And my daughter helps take care of the 4 and 6-year-old. She helps the wife make dinner. She helps her clean up. She plays with the kids. She has... You know, then they clean up after the kids, puts them to bed, and gets done about 9 o'clock and goes home. $25 an hour. She pays her full school bill herself. Now, the idea that she was going to have to take her money and pay her own school bill, I would admit. At first, that didn't really sit real well with her. And, uh, like, i got to take this money and pay my own bill. But then after she had done it for a while, she says, you know what, Dad? I feel like an adult. <laughs> you know, so, so amen. And, uh, and she paid. Now, we helped her with, a few, with things along the way. But she essentially paid her own bill. By the way, had her, her grandfather, out of the blue, before she went to college, he had a little Versa, 2015 Versa. And he says, you know, I think, and we didn't go ask him for it. He said, you know, if that would help Joanna when she goes to college, we didn't know she was going to have a job where she was going to have to drive or how she'd get a job. But he said, you know what? I'm just going to give her that car. I'm trying to encourage you young people who are wondering, how in the world, if I go to Bible college, how will I pay for it? Look, if God wants you to go to college, to Bible college, put the Lord first, and he will take care of it. He will provide. And by the way, it's true for us as adults, too. Put the Lord first. Well, I don't know. Boy, they, they want me to. I'm going to have to start working Sundays, and I'm going to have to start working. I'm not going to be able to be in church anymore. Folks, listen, I understand some jobs require the, the, the swing shifts and stuff, but I'm telling you this. If your job is taking you consistently out of what you know the Lord wants you to be doing in your own heart and soul, then you need to trust the Lord and say, Lord, look, you open up a door of opportunity, and I will, I will give this up. Or, some places, you might have to just step out by faith. Put the Lord first. Faith, where does it begin? <coughs> Look at it. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. We've got to finish up. For he that cometh to God, notice this. Number one, this is where faith begins. 
must believe that he is. Faith, number one, is believing that God is. If you do not believe that God is, I mean God is, that he not might be, that I think he's up there, that I believe there might be it. No, it's believing absolutely that God is in heaven, as defined by the word of God. Believing that God is, that's where faith begins. Then the same verse teaches us where faith ends. You must believe that he is, notice this, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith is believing that God is, and secondly, that God is a rewarder. By the way, it's worth noting the passage doesn't mention the aspect of faith that believes that God is a punisher of those who do evil. And I believe it's because this passage is focused on those who are coming to God, those who are seeking God. You don't motivate the person who is trying to do right with a threat of punishment. You know, if your kid, child comes to you and says, Dad, you know, I, I, you know, I want to help around the house and I want to, you know, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. You don't say, well, if you don't do what you're told to do, I'm going to spank you. No, that's, that's not how you should respond to that particular situation. Amen. After you pick yourself up off the ground, you, uh, in shock, uh, then you uh, say, hey, that's great, you know. And then you might even say, hey, you know what? They get done with that. Say, I'll tell you what. You know what? I appreciate all you did today. And you know what? Let's go get an ice cream cone. Amen. By the way, you know, our kids, this is, I'm just throwing this in here, but one of the challenges of, of being a parent is learning how to praise your children when they do right. Boy, we're good at, we're good at reprimanding. And by the way, I'm talking about teenagers. You say, well, my teenager isn't everything that I would want them to be. Well, you know, they're probably following in the footsteps of their parents <laughs> in that respect. How many of you as a teenager were everything your parents wanted you to be? <laughs> Folks, listen, we need to, honestly, the Lord teaches us. He says reward. He's a reward. He's prophesying reward here. You motivate the person who's trying to do right with the promise of reward. But here's the point. The shield of faith can be summarized, I believe, by these two beliefs about God. God is and God rewards. And it is by the shield of faith that we can quench all the fiery darts of the devil before they get to us. Think about it. What sustained Noah in the evil day in which he lived? Number one, he believed that God is. Had to. Secondly, he believed that God rewarded. If he didn't believe God rewarded, he would have never started building the ark. But he had to do that by faith. They had never seen a drop of rain. What sustained Joseph in prison in Egypt? Unjustly, I might add. And all the things his brother did, brothers did to him, unjustly, what sustained him? He believed that God is. And if he would just keep his heart right, God would reward. God is, and God rewards. What sustained David when he confronted Goliath? What was different between David and all of the other soldiers in Israel's army? Hundreds, thousands of soldiers. What was the difference between David and them? David, out of all of them, believed, number one, that God is. And many of them might have believed that God is. But David, secondly, believed that God is a rewarder. What sustained Daniel in the lion's den? God is, and God rewards. What about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? God is, and God... By the way, they said, look, God may not... We may, may die in that fiery furnace, but they still believe that God would reward. Folks, here's another thing we have to understand. Not all rewards are coming in this life. Boy, we think if I don't see it here, there must be no reward. No, 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 no. There is an afterlife where those... Look, thank God for the rewards here. Thank God for the physical blessings. Thank God for when he answers prayer and the, and the material things that, that he blesses us uh, with. But I'm telling you this, those things will all pass away. The greater rewards we ought to be seeking are the eternal rewards. God is. God rewards. You know, if you want to motivate yourself to live for the Lord when nobody else around you is, just think about, hey, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be really glad that I 
Put the Lord first. God is. God rewards. What about Paul and the ship in the storm on the Mediterranean Sea? Acts 27, 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I, what? Believe God. God is, Paul said. Storm. Sinking. Trouble. Problems. No hope. Not Paul. He said, God is. I believe God. Look, and that it shall be even as was told me. What did the Lord tell him? Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reward you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to deliver you all. He said, I believe God is. I believe that God rewards. He was able to be of good cheer in a very difficult time. Folks, you know it's very difficult to be of good cheer in the time of trouble. Now, maybe it's easy for you. Amen. But ask my wife, and she's watching tonight. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, she will tell you that it is very difficult for me to be of good cheer when I'm going through trouble. <laughs> it's not natural. But Paul was able to be of good cheer. Why? We need to believe that God is and that God will reward. Now, how do we know that to be the case in each one of those instances and many others? Ask yourself this. If any of the people we just mentioned would have stayed faithful to God in the absence of believing that God is and God rewards, and I think you would come up with the answer, no, there would have been no point. What sustained Job in his terrible trial? Job 19, 25. For I know, now we, we read earlier about Job and how he recognized that trouble comes, but Job 19, 25, Job also recognized this. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. God is. God is. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Why was that important? Because that's when the reward comes. Judgment seat of Christ. The millennial reign. He says, I know that God is, and that he's a rewarder. That's what sustained Job, and God blessed him in this life as well. And folks, what will sustain us in our trials and troubles and temptation is the very same shield of faith that has sustained and protected every believer who has ever used it. And by the way, you have to decide you're going to use it. You're going to have to pick it up. You're going to have to hold it up. You're going to have to see the incoming dart and say, hey, wait a minute. God is and God rewards. Devil, you're not going to get me down with that. You're not going to destroy me. I'm not going to give in to that temptation. I'm going to do the hard thing. But I'll tell you this. Sometimes it's hard to lift up that shield of faith, but I'll tell you what's harder than that, not to lift it up. And to have that fiery dart hit you. God is, and God rewards. He is, just as the Bible says he is. He rewards, just like the Bible says he rewards. So in case we need to be reminded, this isn't heaven, but the Lord has given us what we need to overcome the world. 1 John 5, 4, and we're about through. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. God is. And God rewards. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. And that's a whole bunch. But they can be defeated. Lord, we come to you tonight. I thank you for this time. We can look into your word. And Lord, it's easy in this life to get down, it's easy to get defeated. And Lord, if we're not careful, it's easy to start letting those darts, the incoming, just hit us. And Lord, I pray now that you would help us to take this simple thought tonight. This thought, number one, this belief that you are. Number two, that you have absolutely promised that if we will seek after you, you will reward us. Whether in this life, or the life to come, that it will be worth it all when we see you. Whatever, whatever it is we have to go through, whatever has to be put up with in this world, for your cause, for your glory, Lord, it's, it'll be worth it all. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us tonight, whatever folks here may be dealing with, I pray you would take this simple truth, Lord, and help them to realize that victory is available through faith. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I wonder how many would say, Brother Cranston, I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my 
way to heaven. You slip your hand up as a testimony of that tonight. Thank you. You can put them down. Hands up all over. I wonder, maybe there's somebody here that say, you know, quite honestly, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I have some doubt. Look, that's where faith begins for you, is believing that God is and that Jesus wants to save you and that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you put your faith in Him. And if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that's the first step of faith that you need to take based on what the Word of God teaches us about God and the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again to pay for our sins. And I wonder if there's anybody here that has some doubts about your salvation. You'd say, Brother Cranston, I'm just not sure that I'm saved. I, I believe there's a God. I believe the Bible teaches there's heaven and hell. I certainly don't want to go to hell and pay for my sins. If my sins can be paid for by Jesus Christ, then I want him to pay for them, and I need to get that settled before it's too late. Is there anybody like that here tonight, child, teenager, adult, who just slipped your hand up? Say, Brother Cranston, I just have some doubts about my salvation. I need to get that settled before it's too late. Is there anybody like that? In just a moment, we'll have the altar call, and if you're here tonight and have some doubts about your salvation, I'm sure there'll be someone here at the altar that can help you with that during the altar call. Just come and let them know, and they'll have somebody take the Bible and show you how you can know for certain that you're saved. Head still bowed. I wonder those now who raise their hand, many believers, I wonder how many say, Brother Cranston, I'm a believer. I believe God is. I've trusted Him. I put my faith in Him for salvation. But I just, somewhere in the message tonight, the Holy Spirit challenged me with using the shield of faith more aggressively in my Christian life and in my walk here in this world as the Lord leads. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many would say, Brother Cranston, somewhere in the message, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. You'd slip your hand up as a testimony of that tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands up. I don't know what you're going through tonight, but I know this. You're probably going through something. There's probably some way, some incoming dart. If not, probably by this time tomorrow, there'll be something, or by Tuesday. But I'm telling you this, victory is available if we use the shield of faith. Let's all stand. We'll have a word of prayer. The altar will be open. I encourage you to use the altar tonight if the Lord's laid on your heart. And let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight. I pray now that you'd bless this altar call. Speak to our hearts. Help us to make decisions that count for eternity. Give us victory in our walk with you. For we ask in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's BBC, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.